The silent majority is not helping. According to many on the left, cancel culture is not real. Famous people such as AOC, Charles Blow, and even the great journalists at the Huffington Post are saying this as fact now. Is this true? This subject and more on The Cripe Show. What is cancel culture? I've hit on this before, uh, even a few weeks ago, saying that we cannot buy into this cancel culture. I basically, though, kind of ended the cancel culture uh, narrative and my discussion with that a few weeks ago at do not cancel someone based on their political opinion. Well, we need to go further than that. Cancel culture is when you cancel someone or something that was acceptable a few minutes ago, such as easily off the bat, all of these stinking statues. People are canceling our history based on these statues, and that is not right. Why is it not right? It's because a few minutes ago, that was perfectly acceptable. Many people on the left, though, decline to accept this. Charles Blow tweeted out on July 11th. Once more, there is no, this is all in caps, there is no such thing as cancel culture. There is free speech. You can say and do as you please, and others can choose never to deal this you. Oh, I guess that's a typo. Your company or your products ever again. The rich and powerful are just upset that the masses can now organize their dissent. Furthermore, even if you are a public figure, you're still a person. You are still going to make mistakes like other people. You just have to take your knocks for it. Lord knows I have, but you can't complain. You did it. There are consequences for your actions. Learn and move on. Last week, we we discussed Jimmy Kimmel. If you're going to go and say and listen to what Charles Blow has to say, this whole Jimmy Kimmel nonsense of him saying the N-word and using blackface and all this other stuff, you know, 25, 30 years ago, however it may be, in the 90s, I guess more like 20, 25 years ago, that's, that's okay if you're on the left. It's not okay, though, if you're on the right. AOC tweets this out, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, on July 9th. People who are actually canceled don't get their thoughts published and amplified in major outlets. This has been a public service announcement. Wow, AOC, you've served us. You're so smart, AOC. She goes on to say, The term cancel culture comes from enlightenment, as though the person complaining has the right to a large, captive audience, and one is a victim if people choose to turn them tune them out. Odds are you're not actually canceled. You're just being challenged, held accountable, or unliked. The uh, Keeps on Washington Post. The Huffington Post put out an article. Actually, this came up on my... Uh, phone like feed from apple news i don't know if you guys have apple news or not if you have iphones uh but i get just random news articles and this happened to come up and this fits the notion that i want to say perfectly this was uh, posted on july 10th so we have first july 11th july 9th july 10th the cat the uh the The title, I don't know why I said captain. The title of this Huffington Post article is Don't Fall for the Quote-Unquote Cancel Culture Scam. Goes on to say, on Monday, 153 prominent writers, academics, and public figures signed their names to a statement entitled A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. According to the signatories, the free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. 
before I go on, I don't know if you heard the letter of on justice and open debate, like they said, was a basically a letter to our society, not even necessarily a, dimming it down to the United States society, but just I would say the Western society as a whole, including Europe going on. While the letter itself published by the magazine Harper's doesn't use the term, the statement represents a bleak apogee in the years-long, increasingly contentious debate over cancel culture. The American left, we are told, is imposing an, an Orwellian set of restrictions on which views can be expressed in public. Institutions at every level are supposedly gripped by fears of social media mobs and dire professional consequences if their members express so much as a single statement of wrong think. This is false. Every statement of fact in the Harper's letter is either wildly exaggerated or plainly untrue. More broadly, the controversy over cancel culture is a straightforward moral panic. The panic over cancel culture is, at its core, a reactionary backlash. Conservative elites, threatened by the changing social norms and an accelerating generational handover, are attempting to amplify their feelings of aggrievement into a national crisis. That's all I want to uh, go over with the Huffington Post article. Now, something funny, actually, that I'm not really talking about a whole lot is, uh, so... I don't know if you heard about the whole J.K. Rowling backlash. I'm not going to go that far into it. But basically, J.K. Rowling came out with a statement about a month ago, really. And she's she's been in the news lately for saying some things that a lot of people have been offended by. Uh, But she simply, basically, in my mind, asked if there was a difference between, uh, or I guess, overarching what what is a woman. Uh, And like I said, I'm not going to get into it, but she has received a ton of backlash for this statement. She is one of the people who were kind of the big go-getters to, to write this letter. So JK Rowling, when some of the people, some of these 153 people who signed this letter on justice and open debate found out that JK Rowling was one of the founding members, the founding uh, writers of this letter, they wanted to back out of it. Like, how funny is that? The same people who say, we cannot buy into this cancel culture, we need to stop with this cancel culture, are going to say this after they hear about J.K. Rowling. Oh, we don't agree with her, but we we want her canceled. We We don't want us to be canceled, but we want her to be canceled. Yeah, makes perfect sense. All right, so what are, can, can I find, my question was, after reading this article, can I find one one area or one can I show you one way that cancel culture is existing and it's not some right-wing conspiracy can I show you you think that in one week I can come up with one well better than that I got you too and actually I just thought of a third one off the top of my mind but I'm really not going to get into that so here you go the first evidence that cancel culture is legitimate within the past week is Barry Wise I think I'm pronouncing her name right. I don't know if, if I am or not. So Barry Wise, she was a, a opinion article or opinion writer for the New York Times, the ever truthful New York Times. If you don't know who she is, I'll go into a little bit of detail after this. Dear AG, this is her, uh, her letter of resignation that she posted on July 14th yesterday. She says, it is with great sadness that I write to you that I am resigning from the New York Times. So Barry Wise was brought into the New York Times to kind of bring in a conservative light 
for the New York Times opinion articles uh, and writing with a conservative type of mindset. Now, the New York Times doesn't have that many conservatives on any of their writing teams. Not at all. Especially after her resignation, it's slimmer and slimmer. So why, though, is she leaving after, I think, just over three years of being with the New York Times? Let's go on to say, or she goes on to say in her resignation letter, I joined the paper with gratitude and optimism three years ago. I was hired with a goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives, and others who would not naturally think of the New York Times as their home. Hey, look, we still don't. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp of the country it covers. Dean Baguette and others have admitted as much on various occasions. The priority in opinion was to help redress that critical shortcoming. I'm skipping over a few lines. This is a very well-written resignation letter. Not that I'm an expert in resignation letters, uh, but there's just a few points that she makes about the New York times that I really want to hit upon. And the next one is right here. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor as the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper. The paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draft their own conclusions. This is a great piece. And you need to remember this, this sentence to win journalism, journalism's already destroyed in our country. We know what, why do you think that conservatives who don't control the media whatsoever are so good at talk radio? Why do you think someone like me finds so much enjoyment? And why, why, why do you think that is? That I love talking to you. I don't even know who you are that's listening to this. I may have a, an idea of a, a few people. Uh, but why why is it that the only big area of public life that conservatives have had a control on for any length of time within the last 50 years is talk radio? Why is it? It's because of what she says right here. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now, history itself is one more ephemeral, or ephemeral my bad, thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. How correct is she? How correct is she with just one sentence? How she that, that's shocking. It's not shocking in the way of, oh, like I'm so shocked that she wrote that, but I am shocked that it has taken us this long to realize this. Journalism is not journalism. People do not trust, regardless of your political affiliation, people do not trust the mainstream news. People do not. That is why talk radio is so controlled. That is why so many conservatives will, will that, that's why, for instance, me, I trust somebody like a Michael Knowles, who I listen to almost on a daily basis, a, a political commentator. I trust him more than I do the media. Why is that? That's not, that's not the wrong thing to do. But I know going into what he's going to talk about for that day, you can bring up any guys. You can bring up Ben Shapiro, Sean Handy, whoever you want to. Rush Limbaugh, who bad name, Rush Limbaugh. You know going into their shows, you know if you're a listener of me, and maybe you're a first-time listener, I hope, you, uh, I hope there are some out there this week. But regardless – if you've listened to my show at any length of time, you know kind of where my biases and my objectives objectives are at. 
So I'll tell you, I'll tell you the news. I'll tell you the news, but you know that there's going to be political commentary. You know that I'm not going to try to fit some agenda in and, and mix the news. Yeah, I'm going to say my opinion. I'm going to say just like how I'm doing with Barry Weiss. I, I like I said, I hope I saying her name correctly. But you know that this is a true story. But I'm going to say, like I'm saying right now, my own political opinion of it. She hits the nail right on the head. Right on the head. She goes on to say, my own for my own forays into wrong think have made me subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. Hey, haven't we all? I have learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by coworkers. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. There, some coworkers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be a truly inclusive one. While others post axe emojis next to my name, still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. Now she goes on for another two pages of this. Uh, it's a it's really well-written piece. This is one example, though, of cancel culture. Now, and we shouldn't really be shocked. The New York Times is so liberally diluted. Now, I'm not saying that like liberal thinking is diluted in itself. Some like, a lot of their ideologies are, uh, but the, what the New York Times has been doing in this is sad, and it shows the cancel culture. Someone can be hired in three years ago with open arms. To now, I mean, I guess if you want to call her, oh, she's quitting because she's a little, uh, little whiny crybaby and she can't handle, she can't handle criticism. No, that's not it at all. You talk about workplace discrimination. I think this is pretty big workplace discrimination. Another example, even more in the news, Goya Foods. Do you know what Goya Foods are? I I heard of the brand and what they were. Um. I don't really choose to. I mean, I don't. I I enjoy eating Hispanic foods more so now than I did a few years ago. Actually, I've learned to really become accustomed to, uh, especially Mexican cu- cuisine. I could go for a good authentic Mexican taco uh, or tamale. Ooh, that's good right there. Um, regardless, <laughs> so Goya Foods is a. Uh, I think it's actually the the largest Puerto Rican foods producer in the u.s but so the ceo of of goya foods this past week went and spoke at the white house this is what he had to say well this is what i guess this news source that i'm going to use is uh going to say and goya is facing backlash after its ceo praised president trump during a visit to the white house let's listen all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump, who was a builder. And that's what my grandfather did. He came to this country to build, to grow, to prosper. And so we have an incredible builder and we pray. We pray for our leadership, our president, and we pray for our country that we will continue to prosper and and to grow. Robert Unanue, a third-generation Spanish-American, has led the family-owned food brand since 2004. He visited the White House for a roundtable with Hispanic business leaders. I'll speak more on this. So, so that was what the CEO, Robert uh, Oya, said 
at the White House this past week, he's been facing a lot of backlash. Actually, Goya ban or boycott Goya was trending on Twitter for one day. Huh. Just after speaking at the White House. Oh, I guess they use the word pray and Trump. That's two really bad words to say in this society today. So I guess you can make the argument that maybe they, maybe they should have been boycotted. Don't try, don't, and don't sit there and say that, oh, th- this is, this is okay to do. It's okay to do because we have, we have free speech. Yeah, you, ha- you have free speech, but there's a double standard here. What's the double standard? Just take a listen. Yesterday, the president had a roundtable at the White House and they were talking about jobs and they had the fellow who runs Goya Foods, Bob Unanue, and he said that this president reminds him of his grandfather who started Goya Foods back in the 1930s. Our company was founded in 1936 by my grandfather who left Spain at only 18 years old. We're all truly blessed at the same time to have a leader like President Trump, who is a builder. And that's what my grandfather did. He came to this country to build, to grow, to prosper. Well, through the magic of television, there you saw him right there yesterday in the Rose Garden. And now right here on your TV channel, we've got Goya Food CEO and President Bob Unanue. Bob, good morning to you. Good morning, Steve, Emily, and Brian. How are you all doing? We're doing good to a- talk to some friends. Well, there you go. Thank you very much. Uh, it's good to have you as well. So what was the president's message to the Hispanic business leaders who were at the roundtable yesterday? Well, we were part uh, of a commission. It's called the White House Hispanic Prosperity Initiative. And they called on us to be there to see how we could help uh, opportunities within the economic and educational uh, realm for prosperity among Hispanics and among the nation. You know, the United States after Mexico is the largest Hispanic country in the, in the world, in the world. And so Hispanic prosperity means U.S. prosperity. Bob, can you speak to the trajectory that Hispanic Americans have seen during this administration and what you see moving forward if this president were to win re-election in November? You know, the Hispanic population has doubled since the year 2000. And so as the, the Hispanic population grows and the contribution of the Hispanic community is incredible. New business startups are three times as fast within the Hispanic community than within any other community. Previous to COVID, the Hispanic unemployment was the lowest in history. So our, our very proud of our group of employees who are first responders. When this COVID hit, you know, I went to our people and I said, look, this is going to be tough. And they said, if we don't do it, nobody will. So we've worked around the clock. We never stopped working. And I'm really proud of, uh, of that. And that's what is part of the tenacity of the Hispanic worker who, you know, wants to contribute to this country, not to take, but to right. contribute and to give and to build. Hey, Bob, are you getting a boycott? That's what I've heard because you had the audacity to show up at the president's invitation and say some positive things about him. You know, Brian, yes. And, you know, it's suppression of of speech. In in 2012, eight years ago, I was called by Michelle Obama to Tampa. 
and they were mentioning to launch a my play thing which we put on it's it's putting the the nutritional pyramid into a plate of portion control they wanted to approach the african-american community the hispanic community to eat more nutritionally so they called on us as the most recognized hispanic brand in the united states and i went i went to the white house later and I introduced at, uh, in Hispanic Heritage Month, President Obama. And so you're allowed to uh, talk good or to praise uh, one president, but you're not allowed, when I was called to be part of this commission to aid in economic and educational prosperity, and you make a, a positive comment, all of a sudden that's not acceptable. So, you know, I'm not apologizing for. Uh, saying, and especially if you're called by the President of the United States, you're going to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm busy, no thank you. I didn't say that to the Obamas, and I didn't say that to President Trump. Bob, it's... Wow. Wow, wow, wow. He said so many great things in that interview. I'm sorry that that was a little longer of a uh, of an audio clip. But he said so many great things. I really love, though, the end. He says, the President called on me, and I came. How, how great is it to have that type of like serviceness. I don't even know if that's a word in your heart or I guess the, the ability and the wanting to serve and to know that, you know, we all need to take place and do our part in society. How great is that? People are actually canceled or people who are actually canceled. Don't get their thoughts published. The term cancel culture comes from enlightenment or entitlement quoting AOC. How does this play into that though? So in 2012, he was able to say basically the same things and do the same things at the White House with President Obama. But now, 10 or 8 years later, it's not allowed. This is the cancel culture that we are seeing in America. It's when you can do something, but then one minute later, you're looked upon and you're canceled because of that. There's a double standard here, and cancel culture is no myth. It is not a myth, people. Do not buy into this, just like how the Huffington Post title was, don't fall for the cancel culture scam. Don't fall into this, there isn't a cancel culture. We see it every day. We saw it even recently, as far as a few years ago, with Kevin Hart. He was supposed to host the Oscars, but then some tweets or whatever came out from 10 years, 15 years back. I don't even know if there were tweets, but just comments that he made. That were acceptable at one point, but not another. That is cancel culture. That is not this idea that we can all change. Just like what Charles Blow said. People make mistakes, but you can't complain. You did it. There are consequences for your actions. Yes, there are consequences for your actions. But cancel culture is where you're. it's acceptable to do one thing at one point in time with somebody, but not another. It's okay to support President Obama, but when you support President Trump, you need to be banned. Your organization needs to be banned. We need to ban Taco Bell, Wendy's, whoever else is owned by whatever corporation owns them because they support the President of the United States. That is cancel culture, people. And if you buy into that notion, you are not helping our society do anything great at all if you're going to buy into this the final point about this topic though something something that he said really struck me in that interview that he that i just played and it's the idea and and i really love this idea but, but he just seems like he's so happy to be in america right now he seems that when his dad came over 
keep from Spain. That was the best thing that he's ever done. And he's so happy that his father did that. I wish a lot more of us felt the same way. I wish, I wish even a lot of us felt what that was like to come over here, to come from a place way worse than what we are here. Not that America's perfect. No, that's not perfect at all. But what I'm saying is maybe we all need to have a little bit more gratitude in our lives, even with the small things. Hey, I have a plate of food on my table. I have clean water on my table. Hey, I have a job as much as I can hate for me working in a factory. Hey, I have a job. I'm getting paid. I'm working for a higher purpose. Maybe we all need to sit back and think about that more. So the left is telling us though that cancel culture is not real. Why are they telling us this? It's because they own all of the institutions. I talked about this last week. The left owns every major institution in America. Why then for the people who are quote unquote, according AOC, the, the entitled people, the people in power is not, are not Republicans. Even when, when we own the White House, owning obviously meaning having a president like Trump and obviously a Republican president, we still don't even own the government. Or I guess I maybe shouldn't be using the word own, but we, we still don't control the government. I can go into that more in detail. The left owns every major institution. What is one of these major institutions that I hit on last week? Big tech. All right, the public space. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The left controls it. How do we know that they control it? We know because a button appeared this week and it, it got taken down pretty fast. I don't even know if most of most people even heard about it. It was pretty, it wasn't on the news. You can't have this on the news. I'm reading this from the Washington Examiner of all places, but it, quoting the Washington Examiner from a story on July 13th, a new button appeared on Instagram reads mute white people. The Washington Examiner confirmed the button on Instagram Monday following a tweet, bringing attention to the GIF. I say GIF. I don't know if you said GIF or GIF. I don't really don't understand why people say GIF, but regardless, GIF by conservative commentator Katie Pavlich. Instagram has a muted or has a mute white, white people button in stories, she tweeted, and you can see the picture. I saw this before it got taken down, but how sad is that? How, how racist is that, actually? This... This whole notion, and we I don't even know if you've really seen what Nick Cannon has said recently within the past day or two. Go on and take a look. Type in Nick Cannon, and you'll see what's been, what he's gotten himself into. But this idea, do not buy into this idea, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say because one type of racism is better than the other. No, I'm not. But racism goes every single way. It goes, it goes black on white, white on black. Black on brown, brown on black, brown on white, whatever, whatever color you want. Racism is racism. Imagine if this was flipped around. If it said mute black people, mute Asian people, mute, mute any type of culture. How is this? How is this sounding? How I don't know what goes through your mind if you're whoever's at Instagram deciding to allow this to take place. Mute white people. I'm not saying this just because I'm white. I'd be saying this if this was black. Mute black people. How offensive is that? How, how how terrible is that? But this is the type of thing that is allowed in our culture. I guess maybe this could be a use of uh, not really cancel culture, but of like the canceling of things is when they're blatantly racist. Mute white people. The left, though... 
also seems to own the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Now, I know I've been kind of hitting different points and dots here and there. I'm not saying that we need to control, we as conservatives, as, as Republicans, need to control every aspect of life. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think a lot of... A lot of the problems that we're seeing right now are because the left has a stronghold on every major institution. Well, what is somewhere that the left has control of? And it's clearly obvious today. It's the National Museum of African American History and Culture. So yesterday, I guess today, July 15th, the National Museum of African American History and Culture published four pictures depicting... What is whiteness or white culture? I'll read you that more in one second. So how can we spot whiteness? Well, let's dig in. Aspects and assumptions of whiteness. White culture in the United States. This is all coming from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. All right, so we need to take a look at this. White dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of culture. Okay, so right away, this sets it up as, okay, so whiteness is bad, I guess. I guess our, our culture is so bad. A culture that has created the freest, most richest society the world has ever seen. And I'm not saying this as a white nationalist or anything like that. I'm saying when you when you refer to whiteness, you refer to Western culture, Western civilization. That's that's the bottom line here. So I'm, I'm not defending any of that. I'm defending Western civilization because this is what it all boils down to is the destruction of Western civilization, or I guess in this term, whiteness. Okay, so what is what? How do you spot whiteness? What 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 do we need to watch out for when we when we're trying to spot whiteness? Well, family structure, the nuclear family, father, mother, two point three children is the ideal social unit. Huh. So it's bad. The nuclear family is bad. Where have you heard that before? Where have you heard we want to change and destroy the nuclear family? Or maybe I should use the words the Western traditional family structure. Ring a bell? Maybe I'm reading straight off of the Black Lives Matter website. Because that's what they say. We need to destroy the nuclear family. This is so white, I guess. Even though the idea of the nuclear family comes from a book that's over 6,000 years old in some parts of the book. I'm talking about the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? Well, there were a lot of authors who wrote the Bible. What color were the writers of the Bible? What color, if we're going to be real honest, what color was the man who the Bible is, is or the, the human who half the Bible at least is written about? <coughs> He's not white. I'll tell you that. Jesus Christ was not white. But this is so white. This is so bad that we have we have the idea of a family structure of, of having a father and a mother. It is so bad. We need to get rid of this. This will help all people of color. This will help them if we get rid of this. It's not like statistics show the complete opposite of that in America today. It's so bad. The nuclear family is so bad. That is so white. 
It's just so pathetic. How can you... Uh, going on. Husband is breadwinner and head of household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Children should have own rooms, be independent. I don't really see what's so bad here. What's, what's so bad about having different societal attributes to each gender? I, I guess if you're a liberal, that's really bad. And we're supposed to say that men and women are equal and men and women can do the exact same things and are able to do the same things. Sadly, it's not true. I can do things that my fiance Sydney can do and she can do things that I can't do. But that's, that's bad to say that. We've seen that. We've seen that recently this week, actually, with even uh, moving forward. Emphasis on scientific method. Objective, rational, linear thinking, cause and effect relationships, quantitative emphasis. Okay, so I guess we're supposed to rethink how we, uh, I guess, when I was learning how to have a scientific mind, you have to hypothesize first. We need to change all this, though. But we need to also change in white culture is the Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. The quote, if you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. So now we are supposed to, and it is bad, to not have goals and try to meet those goals. To not, to, where, when has it become bad to work hard? For some reason, our society today is trying to push this notion of it, it's bad to work hard. We need to work less and, and we just need to be not, not working at all. Actually, you know what we need to do? We need to abolish the 40-hour work week down to zero. And if you think that I'm exaggerating this, I'm not. Because this is why so many conservatives were against the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, if you even remember what that was, of all the faults that it had, one of the biggest faults, in my opinion, that it had was that it had – Something basically along the lines of a, you get paid just to live in America. You don't have to work. If you don't want to work, you don't have to work and the government will provide you for that. Well, I'm sorry to say, but humans, one part of humanity is working. Adam and Eve worked in the beginning. We're supposed to work too. Hard work is not bad. That is what has led us to have the greatest society the world has ever seen that is why we have as much world peace as what we have right now hard work i'm not saying everything's perfect no i'm not saying that at all i'm not saying that we need to go be in uh labor camps working our butts off for no pay i'm not saying that a hundred years ago when they were kids younger than the age of five working over 40 hour work weeks that that's acceptable no i'm not saying that at all but hard work is not bad having goals is not bad moving forward future orientation even so we cannot plan for the future you cannot have delayed gratification progress is always best tomorrow will be better so we are not supposed to think about that tomorrow can be better we cannot plan for the future this is whiteness and this is bad Planning for the future is bad. Delaying gratification. So now we have to have, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need, now, now, now. This is this is what this is saying. Can you listen to this? And you may be saying to yourself, this is not that bad. And I would say to you this, this is very, very bad. And for most of you listening to my show who probably think somewhat, dissim- somewhat similar to, to me, you see how bad this is. This is sets up, for great conflict 
personally in your life. Tomorrow, Not being able to think tomorrow will be better, not being able to have delayed gratification. How are you going to live? This leads you down a dark path, and I don't even want to address where this leads you to if you buy into this notion. If you do not buy into the notion of tomorrow can be better, I can't have a growth mindset. Tomorrow will be better. I don't need gratification now. Hey, I'm 22 years old and I have a ton of college loan debt and I want to have a family someday. You know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to sit on my butt and want gratification now. I'm not going to go and buy a nice car. I've never had a car that nice. No, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to work hard and pay off my loans. And someday when I sit back and I'm 67 years old and I'm retired finally from being a teacher or whatever else I guess I want to pursue, I will sit back and think about this moment right here when I am talking to you listeners and I'm thinking to myself, how grateful am I that I decided to put a hard hat on and keep trugging forward, that I decided that tomorrow will be better, that, hey, someday maybe I will have a car that isn't less than 200,000 miles. Someday maybe I will be able to just go out and spend a week in Florida. I'll be able to do this, do that. It's so sad. I could read you more and more. There, there's, there's four pages of this. You get the picture though. We cannot buy into this idea. And you can make the argument, I guess I should have said this at the beginning, that they're not saying that whiteness is bad. But this is saying that whiteness is bad. And I'm not saying like white as a color. I'm saying as this philosophy of this Western civilization. Because this is what it all boils down to. They can say that they want to destroy whatever it is. But it boils down to the Western civilization. And we all live in the Western civilization and the Western civilization is a great civilization. It is, like I said, it has brought the most peace, the least amount of poverty, the least amount of wartime in the history of the world. And we need to completely disregard all of this and disregard our history so then we can feel better about ourselves. We need to not work hard. We need to not think that the future is going to be better and we can definitely not plan for our future. We definitely cannot have an emphasis on scientific methods. How sad is that? What does this all tell us though? What does this all tell us? Why is the title of my show for this week? This, (coughs) sorry, I guess I'm smoking too much. The silent majority isn't helping. Why is that the title, Seth? It is the title because this tells us something. This silent majority that Trump loves to parade around like he's just won the first place prize at the state of, I don't know, science fair. This idea of the silent majority that elected President Trump in 2016, it's definitely real, but it is time for the silent majority to not be silent anymore. It is time. Democracy dies in darkness, according to to the Washington Post. Wow, look at me. I'm quoting the Washington Post in a good light. Democracy dies in darkness. Why don't we? Why don't we decide to step up? Not that we need to go on Facebook and, and troll and be keyboard warriors to every single post that we hate, or we need to be pushing our agenda here, there, and there. No, but what we need to do is sit down and say, We need to stop being silent. We need to stop going into our corners and always being second fiddle. 
Okay, because if we want society to change for the better, if, if we want to have our values heard, we cannot be silent no more. We cannot sit down and wait 50 years, every 50 years for Donald Trump's to be elected or for people like him to be elected. We can't go from, oh, Reagan was such a great president to now in 50 years, we're going to say, oh, Trump was such a great president. No, we cannot do that. The silent majority needs to speak up. Society is not going to change with half of its population being silent, with half, with all of the conservatism being silent. It will not change. This will not change. This will continue to get worse. And the left will try to use whatever turn of terms they want to make it seem like they're not trying to take away what you believe in, but they are. Whiteness equals Western civilization doesn't matter what color your skin. It's a philosophy behind whiteness. It's Western civilization. And it is not going to get any better. Well, Seth, you've been really negative this whole, this whole episode. What are some positives ending the show? What are, we need to end some, the show on some positive. I, I heard, I don't know if it was Shaq or if it was Kobe. It was, it was one of the great, greatest basketball players of all time said that whenever they would practice, they would always end on a make. You can't end practice on a, a bad note. Well, so we're, we're not going to end the episode on a bad note. If you're a star Wars nerd like me, you probably have seen the news. The bad batch is coming to Disney plus 2021, The Bad Batch. It's going to be like a spinoff of uh, one of the story arcs of the last season of the uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars TV show. Uh, it's one of the few pieces of Star Wars media that Disney, in my opinion, has not completely trashed. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to this just because it's a continuation of the story. And a lot of us thought that the Skywalker saga, as far as you know, the nine movies, the Clone Wars, things like that, was going to be gone, but this continues on the Skywalker legacy, at least for a little bit longer. Some people though are not happy about this. Anna, some random person on Twitter tweeted at the announcement uh, video of this and said, we know you only care about money. So why not make Ben solo series as he's your most profitable character? Oh, right. Or, or Oh, right. Because you only care enough to cater to fanboys. I don't really know what she's trying to get here. Uh, I, I don't know who thinks Ben Solo is its most profitable character at the moment. Ben Solo, the coward, the man who was so wishy-washy on his feelings. Not that that's not okay, but the, the, the guy who could not, he wasn't even a strong leader when he was on the dark side. And you can make the argument, oh, that was the whole point of the, of, of the last three movies was to show how you can just tweak along the lines of, of right and wrong. Ben Solo is not Star Wars' most profitable character at the moment. It's sad that we even have to have this argument of Disney is going to go, but Disney's a money whore. Let's be real here. But I'm looking forward to the Bad Batch come 2021. 2021 should be a great year for Star Wars media. The Mandalorian Season 2, reportedly the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show, and now the Bad Batch. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Other good news. Look forward next week to an extra episode. I'm currently working out all the details. I don't know exactly when it will be out. I'm not going to say any more, but you are not going to want to miss next week's episode. I am looking forward to sitting down with a, a good friend of mine to discuss a topic that I really do not spend that much time talking about. But I think that's something that is important for us to hear. Finally, 
I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you and appreciate all of you who have been supporting of me for well over a year now, but even those supporters who have just now hopped on board. I really do. This past week, we saw an increase for the fifth straight week of gained average listeners, and I'm so thankful for every single one of you. I love that you are able to help me get my voice out. Jeremy Grant, Dismore, Aaron, I can't name everybody, but you four came to my mind. I really appreciate all the support you have been giving me. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. If you have ever want to suggest content for the show, email me at sittingwithseth at gmail.com. Be sure to follow me on Sitting With Seth on Facebook for more.